Welcome. You can be seated. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online as well. Hi, Melissa. So we're continuing our trek through 1 John, verse by verse. And today's text will be chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And just as soon as I said you can be seated, I'm going to ask you to stand. You don't have to, but just for the reading of God's Word. The Apostle John is writing by the Holy Spirit and says, verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world, verse 17, and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray, if you would, please join with me. Father, thank you, as Copono prayed so much for your word. Lord, what would we do if we didn't have your word? Lord, this portion that we have before us today here in your word, we desperately need for the Holy Spirit to open it up to us and minister it to us, Lord especially dealing with this particular topic, this, this matter. Lord, we are here because we want to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit as you speak into our lives in and through your word. And Lord, when you do so, we would ask that you would speak clearly so clear that a fool could not err thereof. And speak personally, because you know our hearts. You know what's in our hearts. And you can speak to the matters of our hearts. So Lord, would you speak? Your servants are listening, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now you can be seated. <laughs> What I want to talk with you about today is why loving the world or the things in the world will not end well for anyone who does. <laughs> Yay. How perky is that, huh? It's true. Now, before we go any further, it's of paramount importance that we delineate between the world in this context, in contrast to the context in which Jesus says in that well-known verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And now here John says, do not love the world. John is speaking not to the people in the world, rather the system of the world. The system of the world, not the people in the world, is against Jesus. 
in the place of Jesus, and perhaps more importantly, stealing our love for Jesus. That's the world that John is admonishing us to not love. Do not love the world system, the ways of the world, or the things of the world. And thankfully, and this is true throughout Scripture, because this is who God is and how God is. God will never say, don't do something without telling us why and what to do instead. So there's this battle, there's this war, there's this struggle, if you will, that is in our flesh. Because we're dealing with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they never let up, do they? So the world is against everything that Jesus is. And the one thing that the enemy does vis-a-vis the world is to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal our love for the Lord. How? By attracting us to the world and the things of the world. Enter these three verses tucked into this second chapter of John's first epistle, where he explains the aforementioned why behind the what. John, by the Spirit, will first explain what love for the world is and the things in the world are. Then he provides us three reasons as to why it is that loving the world and things in the world will in the end be dangerous and even deadly. Hence the title I chose. I hope you like my title of my sermon. I don't think you do. I can tell by the reaction. The three reasons are as follows in order. First, in verse 15, the love of the Father can't be in you. Second, in verse 16, everything in the world is against you. And the third reason, perhaps more importantly, is in verse 17, and it's that of how the world is passing away or dying right in front of you. Is that not how we say when someone is dying, they're, they're passing away. Or if they died, they passed away. That's what John's saying. The world is dying. The world, and not just the world, but the desires. They're dying. They're passing away. And, and notice the contrast between, and I'm already getting ahead of myself, but whatever. You, you, notice the contrast between the, the world is passing away, but the one who does, does the will of God lives forever. The world's going to die, and it is dying. It's passing away. It's just a matter of time. But if your love is not for the world, but for the Lord, your hope is not in the world, but in the Lord then you'll abide forever. And that really, I think, is the topping, as it were. Let's look at the first one in verse 15. This is pretty strong. <laughs> I 
I have to confess that in preparing to teach this passage, I, I kind of struggled with this, and, and it's a sanctified struggle, of course. But what John is saying is we're not to love the world or anything in the world, because if we do love the world and the things of the world, then that means the love of the Father is not in us. Better said, cannot be in us. In other words, we're not to love the ways of the world in the sense that we end up doing things the way the world does. Example, our devotion of time, attention, and even financial resources will be given to that which we love the most. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, really from verse 19 on through to the end of the chapter in verse 34. But I want to draw your attention, beginning in verse 19. Listen to what Jesus said about this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ah. So wait a minute. Where's your heart? Wherever your treasure is. Where's your treasure? Oh, it's here in this world. Well, then your heart's in this world. That's where your devotion is. Why? Because that's where your treasure is. See, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's at. So if, you're, if your treasures are here in this world and the things of this world, then that's where your heart is and your love is. You know what he says after this, right? Um, he says, you cannot serve slash love both. And it's even stronger because he says, you're either going to love the one and hate the other or vice versa. What is he referring to? God or mammon? God or money, possessions? God or worldly wealth. He does not say you should not serve both. No, you cannot serve both. It is impossible. Your heart is either for and in this world, or your heart is for and in the next. There's no in between. That's why the love of the Father cannot be in you. If you love the world, there's no room for the love of the Father, because your heart is filled with love for the world and the things of the world. And God's not going to force Himself or His love on you. That, that, that kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? 
Love is volitional. We, we, we love him because we love him. We choose to love him. Not because we're forced to love him. That's not love. That's the antithesis of love. So right out of the shoot, we've got a problem. If we love the world or the things of the world, then it is impossible to have the love of the Father in us. And by the way, <laughs> we want the love of the Father in us, right? Well, this really dovetails into the second one in verse 16, and it's that everything in the world is against you. This is where John now specifies the things in the world. Listen, please, very carefully, that the world will seduce us with in order that we might love, better said, lust after the world. They're what I'll refer to as the big three, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life all of which are against Jesus, and by extension, against you. So as you know, I'm sure those of you that were here first service, that the prophecy update was titled, Unsubscribe, Unfollow, and Unfriend the World. Do not be friends with the world. We're too friendly with the world and the things of the world. And what's happened is we've become now attached to the world. And this is exactly what the enemy wants. He wants to tempt us to lust after the things, the desires of this world, because he knows Scripture better than we do, that when we do, we cannot love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. So let's talk about the big three. This is the worldly mindset, the worldly philosophy, the worldly system, and it comes not from the Father. The lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. The reason I, I referenced the update being, uh, you know, kind of in concert with the teaching today in First John, by the way, uh, spoiler alert, it will be in concert with uh, next week's uh, prophecy update too. So uh, don't not come now. But uh, <laughs> why? Because John is talking about the last hour. And, and he goes from talking about loving the world and the things of this world to the Antichrist who's coming to the world and even now already is the spirit of Antichrist in the world. And that's how you'll know it's the last hour. That was next week's sermon. I guess you don't need to come now. But you see how they tie together here? See, there's this, this pull, magnetic, like magnet to steel, to pull us in, tie us to, attach us, tether us to this world. If you think about it, everything in the world has at its very core these three. And by the way, the world is not your friend. In fact, the world hates you. 
I hope that doesn't come as a shock to you. Jesus said the world would hate you because of him. That's why the world hates you. Don't take it personal. They hated me first. So they hate you because of your association with me. The world hates you. Why do you keep sending the world a friend request? In fact, you know what? Don't just unsubscribe, unfollow, and unfriend. Block the world. Block them. Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Eve saw the tree, lust of the flesh. Pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes that could make them wise, the pride of life. Fast forward to when Satan tempted Jesus. Turn the stones into bread, lust of the flesh. Look at these kingdoms, lust of the eyes. Prove yourself, pride of life. Every temptation, every trial in your life will come in one of these three ways. They'll come against you. Why? Because they are against you. I know that's a firm grasp of the obvious. The world does not love you. The world is against you. The world will come against you. The purpose is to destroy you, to steal your joy, your, your hope, your love for the Lord, and to destroy your faith in the Lord. Everything is geared towards that. Nothing's changed. Nothing is new under the sun. I don't know why it is that we, and I'll include myself in this, I'm just as guilty as the next, just as prone to, just as Paul would say, that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. I'm rotten to the core. When the flesh rears its ugly head, it's, it's attracted to these things. The flesh. But you know, the, it's never satisfied. It's insatiable. The lust of the eyes. When, when does the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, when does it ever say, okay, I'm, I'm satisfied now? Never. It's more, more, more. So everything is against you. Why, pray tell, are we, again, I'll include myself, why are we still trying to be friends with the world. Why do we keep sending them a friend request? They, they're not our friends. Beware when all men speak well of you. You know, uh, James said a pretty, oh, I don't know how, how much, uh, I mean, you, you, well, of course, he's the half-brother of Jesus, the Savior of the world, born to Joseph and Mary. Uh, after Jesus. I mean, if I grew up in the same house as God incarnate, I'd probably have a chip on my shoulder too. I mean, you don't just read the book of James and walk away going, ah. You read the book of James, you walk away going, ho, oh, oh, ho, you adulterer. You, you don't, do you realize that when you're friends with the world, you're committing spiritual adultery? 
And oh, by the way, you're a friend with the world. You're an enemy of God. It goes both ways. I'm not angry. <laughs> I don't think. I might be. It goes both ways. If I'm an enemy of the world, I'm a friend of God. Oh, because see, the world is not my friend, but Jesus is my friend. What a friend I have in Jesus. Um, one more thing on this, and I wanted to spend time on the last one, because again, it is the, the capping, the topping, the, it, it reaches its zenith. I mean, it, it settles it, really verse 17. But before we get there, I just want to make this one comment. Never ever underestimate the power of fleshly desires. It's very subtle. And its sole goal is to take you away from Jesus. And that is the litmus test. And this goes for everything across the board. The litmus test is this. Does this, does that, do they, does she, does he bring me closer to the Lord or distance me further from the Lord? If it's the latter, it's not of the Lord. It's the world. It's the flesh. It's the enemy working in and through. Because see, the enemy, I'm going to use the magnet and steel illustration again. So the enemy knows the, the metal filings in our flesh that is within us. And so he brings this magnet <laughs> and, you know, tries to bring it to the surface. And we cooperate with him. We cooperate with them. Um, I know I said one last thing before we move on, but this will be the last, last thing before we move on to the final one. Uh, you know, if you are walking in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Do you know what that means? You're so filled with the Spirit, you won't have an appetite for the flesh. You're in sync with, you're in step with, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So here comes the flesh knocking on your door. Ooh, look at this. <laughs> Effects added. I, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm satiated. I have no desire. I'm not going to, don't worry. I know you're looking at me like you're not going to do that whole food thing again, are you? I want to, but I won't. If I'm full of the Spirit, I'm not going to have any hunger for the flesh. My appetite is satiated. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit to overflowing. You're so full. Here comes the temptation knocking on your door. You're going, no. No, if I'm not full of the Spirit, here comes that knock. JD, what? Oh, and then, then all of a sudden, I'm kind because of, I'm not satiated. I'm not filled with the Spirit. So now there's that allurement to the flesh. Why do you think it is that, that Satan picked the opportune time at the end of that 40 days of fasting 
to tempt Jesus. He was literally starving to death. Bible scholars have uh, expounded on just the narrative, the details in that account of the temptation of Jesus Christ there in the wilderness. And when, when you start getting hungry after not eating for a long time, you're, you're starving to death. He was about to die. And there's a lesson in that. That's when the enemy strikes. He's very patient. He'll wait. He, he studies us. He stalks his prey. The Apostle Paul describes him as this roaring lion, prowling, roaming back and forth, just stalking, studying his prey, like a military strategist, strategizing, studying, and waiting for the op- opportune time to attack. And it's always when we're the weakest. It's not when we're strong, full of the Holy Spirit, strong in the Lord and the power of His might. No, He waits until we're weakened, weakened spiritually. And then He attacks. Very interesting at the end of Luke's account of the temptation. It says that Satan left Jesus to wait for another opportune time. You know what that means? That wasn't the only time that he was tempted. That's the record that we have of that particular time that he was tempted. So what's your point? My point is, is that we do err greatly when we underestimate the seductive nature of the lusts of the flesh. And how do I say this? I'll just say it. I feel sorry for Christians who are not strong and solid in the Word of God, because they're sitting ducks. They're sitting ducks. See, when you're in the Word, and the Word is in you, and you're strong in the Lord, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're less vulnerable. You're less vulnerable. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus defeated Satan, He did so not in His divinity, but in His humanity. And aren't you glad, by the way? Because had He done that in His divinity, then we're toast. No, He did it in His humanity. And what was the key? Well, again, we find the detail in Luke's account. Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the key. That was the difference. That filling with the Holy Spirit is available for us when we resist the devil so that he will flee. But there is an attraction. Hey, temptation would not be temptation if it wasn't tempting. (laughs) That that did not work at all. Let me try that again. (laughs) Thanks for your patience. I mean, okay, I'll just use Joseph as an example. Potiphar's wife. Um, You know why I know that she was very seductive and alluring and I'm going to leave that one there, because the imagination might go too far on that one. Because if she wasn't, Joseph wouldn't have ran. And he wouldn't have left his coat either. 
<laughs> if, if, if there wasn't a temptation there, he would have said, excuse me, can I have my coat back? No, there was a tempting, seductive temptation there. Why do I bring that up? Because <laughs> pastors, we're, we're guilty of this. We, we paint sin as bad, sin bad. Actually, sin is pleasurable for a season. Oh, it's, it's appealing to the eyes, the flesh. If it weren't, it wouldn't be a temptation. I hope you don't tire of me saying this, but sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. And it's important to make that distinction because Again, pastors, we're, we're so guilty of this. We paint this picture of sin that does not resemble the reality of sin. Sin is very attractive. Sin is very persuasive. Sin is very tempting and pleasing to look at. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a temptation. But God has given us all that we need in order to prevail against this temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And I think of Job, who made a covenant with his, no, uh, yeah, Job made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look upon a woman with lust, a covenant with his eyes. Hey, we have, we have a covenant, not a contract, a covenant. Eyes, sit down, we're going to talk. Eyes, do not look upon a woman with lust. Sign here. That's the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh, the things that, that well up within us, and those desires that we have. Don't give them a place. Make no provision for the flesh. Flee all appearance. Don't create an atmosphere or an environment in your life that is conducive for the lust of the flesh. Don't provide a place for it. Don't rent a room to it. Don't have it over for dinner. We make provision for it. We're setting ourselves up for a fall. It's just a matter of time. So how do we overcome the flesh, the spirit, the spirit? spirit, the pride of life. I know this is the last, last, last one. This one's a biggie. This is, this is the temptation. I want you to think this through with me. All pride, which is at the core of all sin, requires one be superior over one they perceive to be inferior. The pride of life. And that's a biggie. There's nothing wrong with ambition. It's selfish ambition, that's spiritual pride. The spiritual pride that says, I'm better than you. Look at what I did. Look at what I have. Look at who 
I am. It's all about position and power. And pride is the fuel in that tank. Let's move on to the last one. Verse 17. I, you'll forgive me, but, and maybe it's an oversimplification, but if I'm trying to, and I'm not, but hypothetically, if I was trying to persuade you to invest in something, or not to invest in something else, I think verse 17 would be how I would try to close the deal. Was that a pretty crass way to illustrate it? Uh, Why would you devote yourself to invest in something that is dying? In other words, our love for the world invests us in the world, but that's a bad investment because the world is going to pass away. It's really on life support as we speak. Now, why would you want to invest in that? That's a very bad investment. Why would you want to lay up treasures in a place that isn't going to be around very much longer? That's kind of stupid. I'm sorry, I I had to. That's in the Bible, by the way. I have to say it like that, too. It's that's foolish. And that's what John is saying. And, and look at the logic behind how he says what he's saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, because this is the number one reason as to why it is that we should not love the world or the things of the world. He says, the world is dying, but those who abide in the will of God live forever. Listen, I'm not the sharpest knife in the kitchen drawer, but that to me is called a no-brainer. Let's see, it's dying, it's living forever. We don't... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I, why is that even on the table? Why is that even up for discussion? That's not even a choice. It's a non-issue. Then why, why do we do it? Because we've been seduced by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We bought the lie. It's a lie. Again, I'll, I'll just reference it one more time. But in the prophecy update, there was one part where I just sensed that the Holy Spirit was was prompting me. It was really undeniable when it comes to this notion that those who still hold out hope for this world have no hope of disconnecting from this world. See, what's happened is, oh, this could still turn around. So wait, wait, wait. So you're still hoping, you're still holding out hope for this world? Yeah. You know, the elections are coming up. 
Oh, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, I did. When will we ever realize that the only time that we're ever going to have a just government is when the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ, who has the government on his shoulders with no end, rules. Okay, now I am angry. <laughs> it's a righteous anger, though. I'll have you know. No, but isn't that true, though? I mean, you, you, you. as you know, I struggle with this greatly because you're still tethered to this world. And that's why now. Now it makes sense. Why are you still tethered to this world? Because you're still holding out hope for this world, contrasted with those who realize there's no hope for this world. Those are the ones that are going, Jesus, you're our only hope. The Lord's like, I know, I've been trying to tell you that how many years. Isn't it true that we put our hope in that which we have love for? Oh, pastor, you don't love this country. Oh, yes, I do. Probably more than you. Oh, hear me out. My parents immigrated to this country with nothing when I was nine months old from the Middle East. And they came to this great country. I love this country, but I don't love this country or this world more than I love Jesus, because this is not my home. This is not my home. Home is where the heart is. Well, that's your problem. Because your home's down here, your treasures are down here, your heart's down here, no wonder. That's where your hope is. You're still hoping we can turn this thing around. The economy. Okay, forget the elections. I'll I'll turn that corner, if you don't mind. The economy. We can still turn it around. You you, you actually have hope that... (laughs) I'm sorry. I just feel sorry for you. I really do. Is that why you're so invested in the world system, the economic system. Well, that's where your treasure is. Well, no wonder. No wonder your your heart's there. No wonder your hope is there. No wonder you're hoping it'll turn around because that's your investment portfolio. You should see my investment portfolio. Yeah. Oh, the returns, the yield. <laughs> so again, I just bear with me and I'll, I will bring it <laughs> to a close. Some of you are saying, please, Jesus, make him close. I will. It's the only explanation, right? See, if I'm holding out no hope for this world, I've fallen out of love with this world. Wouldn't it stand to reason that I would put my hope in Him? I mean, it's proportionate, isn't it? Proportionate to my, my love for this world is my love for the Lord. Because it cannot be both. It's one or the other. 
if I'm invested down here and my hope is here and my treasure is here and my heart is here, well then it can't be there. I think of Isaiah who said that happy is he whose mind is stayed on thee. Paul to the Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, think on these things and he lists whatsoever things are. It's, it's called being heavenly minded. And please, I, I, I beseech you, <laughs> I beg you. Mark Twain, who said famously, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. I reject it out of hand. It's the opposite that's true. The more heavenly minded I am, the more earthly good I'll do. It should really be, the more earthly minded you are, the more heavenly good you cannot be. Because that's not where your mind is, that's not where your heart is, that's not where your treasure is. When the rapture happens, and we talked about this, by the way, especially for those who really struggle with this notion that what I do for a living, my occupation, my education, it matters nothing for eternity. It absolutely does. This is one of the biggest misnomers, I think. What you do for a living, God has uniquely positioned you. It's going to matter for all of eternity. What, what you do down here on earth will determine what you do for all of eternity. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm a doctor. I will not have a job in heaven. I'll be out of a job because nobody's sick. Well, welcome to my world. I'll be out of a job too because I'm a pastor. There won't be a need for a pastor in heaven. So what does that mean? That means that God is preparing us for that which He is preparing for us in heaven. Everything you do matters for eternity. Never think it. Don't let the enemy take that from you. Yeah, but man, I just work a regular nine to five job and I'm just doing this and doing that. And did you know that work was blessed before the curse, before the fall? Adam and Eve were to steward the garden, God's creation on earth. Does, how does it stand to reason that we would not be stewarding God's creation in heaven? He created the heavens and the earth. I know this might sound unappealing to some. Are you telling me we're going to work in heaven? I hate my job. That, that's, are you sure you're not talking about the other place? No. But work is going to be perfect and fulfilling. And God's going to have a job for you. You know, this, this uh, notion that, oh, I hate this, I hate this, I'm not, I'm not supposed to hate, but I hate this. The picture of the people playing a harp on a cloud. Listen, if God has a harp for you, praise the Lord. It, you, <laughs> really, really? And by the way, can I just clear something else up that's really bugging me? I've got to get this off my chest. We don't get our wings. We don't become angels in heaven. We're above the angels. We're judging the angels in heaven. 
So these pictures of us in heaven on a cloud playing a harp with wings, can you burn those pictures if you have any? That's not what it's going to be. We're going to be worshiping Him. We're going to be serving Him forever and ever and ever in perfection and glory. Okay, I feel better now a little bit. Not, not totally. Back to the sermon already in progress. The world is dying. Why are you still trying to keep it on life support? That sums it up. Why are you trying to keep this thing alive? Oh, we're going to make the Titanic float again. I'm just going <laughs> to stick with that one. No, you're not. It's going down, man. It's going down. No, there's still hope. No, it's not. No, it's, it's going down. It's going down. Let it. And let go of it. Loosen your ever-tightening grip on it, your love for it, the things in it. Because if you don't, it will not end well in the end. Because what you've done, as one said, you put your ladder up against the wrong wall. If you got a better one, let me know. I'll use that. Can I close with two verses? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And verse 2, listen very carefully. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world fashion you into its mold. Don't conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Disconnect from the world. Sever the world and tether to the Lord. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Listen, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And here it is again, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, not returns, that's the rapture. When He appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory when you get your new glorified bodies, that alone. That's at the rapture when He appears. Uh, that's my final destination. Why am I hunkering down here when He's about to take me up there? You know, when you uh, rent, uh, you're not going to remodel a rental, are you? 
Let me try, let me try something a little bit different on that, along those lines. Vacation rentals. You're there for two weeks. Are you going to remodel the kitchen? You're not going to be there that long. Why? What a waste. Well, then why do we do that down here in, the, in this world? Why do we dig our roots down so deep in the temporal soil of this dying world? We think we're going to be here for a while, apparently. Again, that's the only explanation. The only explanation for why it is that, that you're not excited about the rapture, could it be? Could it be? That your heart's here, because your treasure's here. And so your hope is here. And your hope is that, hey, this is why, okay, I'm going to end with this. <laughs> I'm just going to be candid with you and, and tell you that this is the only way that I can reconcile this in my own heart, in my own mind. When I hear pastors say, ah, oh, we got a hundred years thinking, hmm, do you want there to be a hundred years? Wait, 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 wait. No, this is the last hour, and John's going to tell us next week, so you have to come next week. He's going to tell us how we know it's the last hour. There's a way to know it's the last hour. This is how, and <laughs> it's the last hour. Uh, no, it's, the, it's not the last century. It's the last hour. And this is how we know. So the only thing that I'm able to just, that just settles me, and the Lord has settled my heart, and I'm so thankful that He has in this regard. The only thing that settles me is they don't really want this to be the last hour. That's the only thing that makes any sense at all to me. Um, if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, <laughs> this better be the last hour, or we ain't going to make it. No flesh is going to survive. There's no way. This is it. This is how it ends. This is the end. The end is not near. The end is here. This is the last hour and we can know that this is the last hour. Now, can we revisit your investment portfolio? Can we make some investment transfers here? Can we invest in eternity here? Yeah, but I'm not in full-time ministry. That's another misnomer we talked about on the Prophecy Update. I encourage you, if you haven't watched it or listened to it, to do so. There's no such thing as full-time ministry, part-time ministry. It's lifetime ministry. And please, 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 please do not buy the lie that there's this disparity between the clergy and the laity, the sacred and the secular. Oh, you're in secular employment. God can use you in that position more than He can use guys like me. As soon as somebody finds out I'm a pastor, that's the end of the conversation. It usually ends with something, oh, forgive my French. Hey, dude, that was not French, just so you know. My dad taught French in high school. That's not French, but you're excused. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, they changed the whole complexion of the conversation because I'm the most holy reverend. Don't ever call me that. And so here's the chasm. Here's the division now. That conversation's over. That opportunity has ended. But not for you. No. You're in that job. God's, you may not know it. You're in that school. You're in that position. <laughs> and you're thinking, man, I need to get in a full-time ministry. Trust me. <laughs> you, no, you don't. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, you have no idea. I'm sorry, Lord. I didn't mean to misrepresent you. It's a joy, but it comes at a cost. <laughs> the sacrifice is, remember when James and John sent their mom to go to Jesus and, and ask if they could reserve the seats on the right and the left? You remember what Jesus' response was? Are you kidding me right now? I mean, that's a loose paraphrase, but it was something along the lines of, you have no idea what you're asking me, because there's no way that they can pay what it's going to cost and make the sacrifice that it's going to take to have that position. Think of Jeremiah when God called him. Jeremiah. <laughs> and he fought it throughout Scripture, replete throughout Scripture. Everyone that God used fought tooth and nail. No, Moses. No, I can't even talk anymore. I've been out here with these sheep on the backside of the desert, not even the front side. They're not even my sheep. I, can't, I, I developed a speech impediment. You're still going. Your brother's going to speak now, Aaron. That's why throughout the Old Testament, the, the, the Lord commanded Moses to command Aaron to command the people. That didn't have to be there if Moses didn't bring up that objection. And not just Moses, everyone. Gideon. Oh, you remember what Gideon did? Oh my. He, he's like, okay, God, just to be really, 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 really sure, let a bird hit my windshield at 2.30 p.m. tomorrow afternoon with windward Malchus showers. Then I'll know it's you. And then he does it, and you go, okay, now, just to be really, really sure. Come on, man. I don't know why I went off on that, but it's your lot in life. Thanks for your grace. What you do matters. You may not realize it, but God is using you in that position, if for no other reason, to be light in darkness. Salt, salt preserves, salt creates thirst. They're watching your life. You're a living epistle. They're watching your life. That coworker, you know the one in the cubicle next to you? Oh yeah, you know the one. No, not them. Yeah, them. Them. They're watching you. They, in fact, they might be testing you because they want to know if you're the real deal. And they're watching how you're handling the trials of life, the same trials that they're going through in life. And they're asking two questions. Is it real and does it work? And they want it to be real and they want it to work because if it's real and it does work, then they have hope. And that's what you represent in that position that you're in. You don't think God's not going to use that? Yeah, but I, my job is mundane. Yeah, you might be surprised. You get to heaven. 
You, you, you enjoy doing something specific and the Lord's like, enter in and you were faithful with that, that little, I'm going to give you, give you in, put, put you in charge of much. So I don't know, <laughs> some of you are looking like, I don't want to be doing what I do now for all of, all of eternity. But no, in glory, it will be exactly what you want to do. We, we've got eternity to steward, the creation of the new heavens to steward, and the new earth. We've got a lot of work to do, and it's going to be glorious. Okay, I'm done. That's it. Come on up. Why don't you just love these? Go ahead, stand. These really smooth, seamless closings are so raw and abrupt, whatever. Lord, once again, I've done my best to teach your word, rightly divide your word. And, and now it's really up to the Holy Spirit to take it from here. Lord, this is a tough issue, and it's one that all of us struggle with on a daily basis, especially in this world that we're living in now. And we desperately need for the Holy Spirit to help us, guide us, fill us. Because absent the Holy Spirit, we really have no, no hope up against what's against us in this last hour. So Lord, would you encourage and strengthen, especially those who are really hurting and struggling. Renew their hope, Lord. Renew their hope, not in this world, but in you. Because Lord, you're our only hope. And you're the only hope for this dying world. So Lord, thank you. And Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen.